you guys. One thing I know about this church is this pulpit was made for tall people. And uh, I really think Pastor Dunbar just has me preach because he thinks it's funny seeing my big head poke out behind this pulpit. Big head on a short little body. Um, so it's, it's good to be here, and it's always a blessing to be with Pastor Mrs. Dunbar. And so many of you, many of you, we had you at the college just a couple weeks ago. So it's good to see you again. Uh, I don't think we've worn out our welcome yet between each other, so that's good. Uh, let's turn to the book of Judges, chapter 7. Judges, chapter 7. Judges, chapter 7. Uh, please be in prayer for us as we head home. Pray that I keep my eyes open all the way home. Uh, that's the goal. Um, heard a joke one time, and I don't know, it may have been w real, and it said, you know, I, I, I want to go peacefully in my sleep like my grandmother did, not like the other four that were screaming in the car. Um, so, you know, hopefully uh, I don't go peacefully in my sleep and they go screaming. So, uh, Judges chapter 7, Judges chapter 7. And let's pray before we read the passage of Scripture here. Judges chapter 7. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for our singing group and the good job that they've done and how they represent you. Uh, thank you for this church, the Dunbar family, and every church member here in this church. Thank you that they're able to be here tonight. And also, uh, thank you for how you've blessed them and blessed their ministry. And I pray that you'd help that to continue going on. I uh, pray that you be with each one of us today. Fill me with your spirit as I preach and fill this auditorium with your spirit, Lord. I pray that you convict where necessary and encourage where necessary. Uh, I pray that everything that's said and done would be honoring and pleasing to you. pray that you'd help me to preach clearly and uh, to accurately communicate your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Judges chapter 7. We're going to skip around a little bit in this chapter. Uh, this chapter is about Gideon. And I think everybody here, I would imagine, is familiar with Gideon. Uh, he's a pretty cool character. Uh, he was somebody who was a uh, little bit scared of serving the Lord. We find him in Scripture uh, threshing wheat uh, at the bottom of this, sh uh, uh, this area where they would thresh, thresh wheat, not where you typically would because he was scared of the Midianites because Israel was, had a lot of pressure put on him from the Midianites. They were occupied by them and around them at this time. Uh, so here you have this man, Gideon. And Gideon, you know the story about the fleece, how he put the fleece out and tried to make sure that it was God's will and he was a little reluctant to do what God asked him to do. But that's all progressed. And at this point, Gideon is gathering together his army. He knows what God's going to do. God wants to use him to free the Israelites from the Midianites, their, um, their oppressors. So let's go to Judges chapter 7. We're going to read verses 2 through 8. Then we're going to skip down towards the end of the chapter. Judges chapter 7, verse 2. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned out of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, 
this shall go with thee, the same will, shall go with thee. And of whosoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down before, upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, pull, putting their hands to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites in, into thine hand, and let all the other people go every man unto his place. So the people took victuals in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent them all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and retained those three hundred men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. Now let's skip down, and I know we're reading a lot of scripture here, but uh, let's skip down to verse 16. Verse 16. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow the, with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came from unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Uh, I love this passage. And I actually remember... Way back as a kid in elementary school, I remember one of our teachers, Mr. Young, preaching this passage. And he just preached it so effectively. And he, he was one to act out different parts. And as a little kid, we loved watching it. And we just enjoyed it. And to this, to this day, I still remember that message. Now, to be honest, I don't really know how the Lord worked in my life in that message, but I wish I had something spiritual to put with that, but I just remember the message and I enjoyed it. And as a little kid, I always enjoyed the story of Gideon. You know, Gideon was a hero that Israel needed. Gideon was somebody that other people in Israel would look up to after this and him and his whole family would be viewed as a leader. But here you see Gideon who's really not, who's somebody who's a little bit reluctant to serve the Lord, he steps out in faith and God uses him in a great way. You know, God's still trying to do a great work today. God's got things that he wants to do in our world today. He's got things he wants to do in Auburn, New York today. And sometimes we can get tuned into the, the media and we can get tuned into social media and we can read all about the bad things that are going on. Well, God's got a lot of work left to do. And God's working towards them end times, and he's preparing us for those times. But in the meantime, he wants to do a great work. There are still people that he wants to save. Uh, there are still people that he wants to reach. There are still people that he wants to rise up as, raise up as great leaders in our era. He still wants to do great work. Now, every time 
He wants to do a great work. He finds somebody to do it every time. And he's going to find somebody in this church to do it if he wants to do a great work in Auburn, New York. Uh, when God wanted to save a few people from the flood, who to use? Noah, to build an ark. Uh, when God wanted to call a people out unto himself, who to use? Abraham, and then Isaac, and Jacob, and then Joseph to save those people. Uh, when God wanted to um, kill the giant Goliath, who to use? David. See, every time God does a great work, we have a fix, a person that he used for that. And every time God's going to do a great work in our era, he's going to use a Pastor Dunbar to do it. He's going to use an Elliot Brosnan to do it. Uh, he's going to use people in this church, and he wants to use people in this church to do it. But, you know, we're left with the idea that God doesn't use everybody. And that's true. Uh, God doesn't use everybody. And in this passage, we've got a whole army that getting in a mess. I mean, 32,000 people. That's a big army. That's a lot of people that wanted to be used of God. But God had to slim that down. And in that, we learn that God's more concerned with quality than he is with quantity. And if God's going to use you to do a great work, he's more concerned with the quality of your service than just the quantity of your service. He wants you to be somebody who's walking with him. He wants you to be somebody who's right with him and who's training to serve him and preparing to be used by God. He wants a quality servant. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I think God's used New England Baptist College in such a great way. We're not a big school. We're not a big ministry. And really, as I travel around and I think about the size of our church, we're not a huge church. Uh, yet God's used us to have New England Baptist College. Uh, and God's used our school in a great way, even though it's not a very big school. See, God wants to use small things, but he wants to use quality things. And we may say, hey, I don't have a lot of talents, and I'm not the best-looking preacher that ever lived, and I'm not the most talented musician, uh, but God wants to use us. And, hey, if that's you, raise your hand. God wants to use you. He wants to use everybody here. You think about some of the great men in history that God's used. You know, some of my heroes, Charles Spurgeon. How many of you guys know of Charles Spurgeon? Think, yeah, everybody should raise their hands there. Uh, he is famous. I mean, probably the most famous preacher to ever live. I'm 29 years old. And uh, two years ago, I did a master's class on Charles Spurgeon. I wrote all these papers on him and read big, thick books on him. And I was really thankful for the experience because I learned so much from him. And he is such a practical life, a practical servant to study. While I was reading about him, at age 26, he preached to 25,000 people. That's without amplification. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, tremendous. That just blows my mind. I don't understand how that can be possible, but God used that. Uh, Charles Spurgeon pastored the metro, what became known as the London Metropolitan Tabernacle for 38 years. They built an auditorium that housed 6,000 people. And they actually had so many people that wanted to go to those services that they would have to have tickets to get into service. Uh, so they'd have a rotation of who was coming to service at what times. I mean, this was in high demand. And God was using him to do a great work. You know, I think of my pastor, Jim Townsley. Uh, he's one of my heroes. Man, God's used him in a great way. 
He came to Southington, Connecticut from Hoosierville, Indiana. I mean, I visited that area one time and it just put so many things into perspective. Uh, it's this very poor section of Indiana and it's just a bunch of coal mines came through and they stripped the land and what's left there is what people have to live off of. I mean, it's just a very poor area. It's about an hour away from any town that anybody would know of. It's just not a great place to be. And I don't know why he speaks so fondly of Indiana. I just don't understand it. Um, but I, I went to that area one time. I actually went to the church that his parents go to. And I was just like, this is a different world out here. I couldn't imagine myself living out there. It's just, I mean, I, I think I'd be more at home in like England or Ireland or somewhere else in Europe than I would be in Indiana. I just don't fit in. Uh, but I'm thinking about it, man, how does God use Pastor Townsley from that area, having only been saved a couple of years to come start Central Baptist Church? I mean, it blows my mind. Uh, he was 21 years old when he came to start Central Baptist Church. I mean, it's just uh, mind-boggling about how God's used him. Uh, just a few years later, 10 years after he started the church, he started the Christian school, and then he started the night school, and now the Bible college. And it's just, you look and you see what God did through his life. It's just, it, it boggles your mind. You know, why does God use some people in such a great way, and then some people in a much lesser way, and some just seem to be put on a shelf? Why is that? And that's something that in my life I'm concerned with. You know, I'm a preacher. I want to see fruit come from my ministry. I want to see God use me. I want to see God use me to a greater extent. And I think that's natural as a Christian. You know, every Christian should, be desire, should desire to be used of God at a greater extent. Uh, and these people that Gideon brought together, this army that he brought together, 32,000 of them, only 300 of them were used by God in the battle. And why is that? We're going to see, let's look first in verse 2. Uh, Judges chapter 7, verse 2. Judges chapter 7, verse 2. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites under their hands. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Number one, God wants to use people that he's going to get the glory from. He's interested in getting the glory. Our God is a jealous God, and righteously so. God deserves the glory. God's the one who does the work. You know, not some talented person, not some winsome personality, not some highly skilled individual. No, God's the one who does the work. And once we learn that, then we're in a place that God can use us. You know, what do I, it, we, we travel all over the place, and I think we lost one. Oh, she's back there, okay. We lost another one. Oh, he's with his girlfriend, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, wow, our, our sing group got real small. Was the preaching that bad? Well, you've got our singing group here, and uh, we take pictures everywhere we travel. In fact, I was on Instagram today on the ride here, and I wasn't driving, by the way, just so you know. Um, 
And I'm looking through, and I, I'm not, I don't usually have a ton of time to spend on Instagram, and I'm playing around it, and I found all these features to use these filters to take pictures. So I was playing around with that, and I, I looked like an idiot doing that. I had Yoda on there. I looked like Yoda, and then one that distorts your face. I've got all these just funny, funny filters, and I'm not going to post any of them because they're embarrassing, and I won't show them to you if you ask because they're embarrassing. But we take pictures all the time. You know the pictures that I post? They're the ones that make me look the best. I mean, that's just the honest truth. In fact, we'll take group pictures. And, uh, you know, if I look good in a picture and Steven's got his eyes closed, that's okay. That's the picture that's getting posted. I mean, that's just how it works, folks. I, I took the pictures. It's my camera. It's my Instagram account. I'm going to look good on my Instagram account. You know, God's the one, uh, we're his people. Uh, we're his possession. We're bought with a price. And God's going to use the ones that are going to make him look good. You know, that's why I believe that God used a Jim Townsley because, man, who could use a 21-year-old Hoosier uh, who's been in the Bible college just three years, just married, just having a baby to plant this church in Southington, Connecticut? It just doesn't make any sense. Why would God use that? Well, because God got the glory from that. Why would God use a Charles Spurgeon? Well, Charles Spurgeon had a lot of health issues. Uh, in fact, this is mind-blowing in modern-day times, but he had a very serious case of arthritis. He also struggled with depression, and he went through several bouts of depression. And there was times when he would leave his church he would go over to southern France on the Mediterranean Sea, and he would spend three months there just to try to recuperate so that he could go back and serve the Lord in his church. That happened numerous times. You say, why did Charles Spurgeon get used so greatly of God? Well, because of what he went through, and God knew he could get the glory from that. We have books, so many books about Charles Spurgeon. I believe there's 68 volumes of his sermons. This man preached on average eight times, a, eight times a week, I believe. I mean, he preached a lot. He was constantly in front of people, even with all his disabilities, even with his depression, even with his wife that was bedridden much of her life. I mean, he went through so much, and God got the glory from all that. If it wasn't for his bedridden wife, not life, wife. If it wasn't for his bedridden wife, uh, we wouldn't have any of that stuff. He, he wouldn't be the most read preacher at this time. See, God used her in a great way. See, God wants to use people that he's going to get the glory from. And then the question's left, well, is God getting the glory from me? And that's something convicting in my own life. And I put together a little questionnaire. We were talking about questionnaires before church, me and Pastor Dunbar. A little questionnaire to ask ourselves to see if we're really somebody that can be used of God, if God's going to get the glory from, from us. First question, am I someone who always needs to be recognized and get the credit for what is done? And man, that's convicting. There's so many times we do some great, uh, we do some great event at church and you're sitting there thinking, you know, is the pastor going to mention me? If, that, if I'm sitting there thinking about that, then I know probably I'm not in the right kind of shape for God to use me in a great way. Number two, is my focus on seeing others look good 
instead of making myself look good. Now I'm revealing myself a little bit because on my Instagram, I look good on my Instagram. But am I concerned with making other people look good or will I trample over somebody else? Will I trash talk somebody else to make myself look good? That's a question. Uh, number three, this is another one that I ask myself. Are the words that come out of my mouth characterized by praising the Lord or are they characterized by bragging? Again, I'm preaching to myself. Because if all I talk about, if all I'm doing is bragging, well, God's probably not getting the glory. You know, we need to be somebody that God can use in that when God does use us, He's going to get the glory. Number two, uh, is God, um, God wants to use people who will give Him glory. Number two, God wants to use people uh, who will choose faith over fear. Let's look at verse 3. Judges chapter 7, verse 3. Now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned to the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. Gideon just lost the majority of his army. I bet you it pained Gideon to say that. I, I, it, it had, he had to struggle to get those words out of his mouth. And then to see 22,000 people walk away. Now, you say, man, these 22,000 people, they must have been horrible people. Well, think about it. I mean, they were still willing to go fight the Midianites. The odds were against them that they were going to win. I mean, it, it didn't look good for the Israelites. So you got to commend these, two, these people. Even though they were scared to death, they still went out and wanted to serve the Lord. But God said, nope, let's have them turn back. Only the 10,000 who said, hey, it looks illogical that we'll win. Only those 10,000 that said, hey, I'm going to have the faith to go out and fight anyway. They're the ones that God wanted to use. That's a question we got to ask ourselves. Am I choosing faith over fear? When I was in high school, I didn't like being in front of people, and I still don't like that to this day. I still struggle with it every time I go in front. There's that little tiny feeling in the pit of your stomach that there's just a little bit of fear there that, you know, I'm in front of people. People are watching me. I don't like that. And I think, I'll tell you, most preacher that I, preachers that I've met, they've had to get over that. And as a teenager, that was something that I struggled with. Surrendering to the Lord to be a preacher. I knew God wanted me to preach. But the concept of getting up in front of a group of people and having to say something for any length of time, that's something that I struggle with. I was scared about that. And that's something that kept me from surrendering to God's will for quite some time. Another thing that kept me from surrendering to God's will was the fear of being poor. Now, your pastor, I know he's independently wealthy, but uh, I didn't have that kind of faith when I was a teenager. You know, I, I didn't want to be poor. I wanted to be wealthy. And that's something I was scared of. But I had to choose faith over fear. And the people that God is going to use, they're the people that choose faith over fear. So number one, God wants to use people that he's going to get the glory from. God wants to use people, number two, that choose faith over fear. And then number three, God is looking for servants who will walk circumspectly. Let's look at verse 6. 
The Bible says, And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down unto their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped, will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go every man unto his place. Now it's interesting how the Lord laid this out. And I always thought in my mind that God told Gideon, all right, there's going to be people that lap, and then there's going to be people that just stick their head down. They, they don't bring the water up to their mouth. And I always thought God just said, well, anybody who goes down and looks down at the water and is just slurping it up, those guys just send them home. But no, God separated the two groups first. And I find that interesting. First, he said, well, uh, Gideon, take note. Anybody who bends down to drink the water and lifts it up with their hand, separate those and all the others that just get down. They can't see anything while they're drinking. Separate those from the others. So you've got these two groups. And I imagine Gideon sitting there and saying, ah, we only lost 300 this time. That's good. And then God says, no, take those 300. That's your army. The rest of them, the rest of what's left, the 9,700 people left, those are the ones I want you to send home. And I imagine Gideon say, hearing that and saying, oh, Lord, oh, come on. I'm losing my whole army here. We had all these people that volunteered to serve you, and you're just taking 300 people? Remember, God wants to choose quality over quantity. So Gideon sends the rest home because he wanted to use those who walked circumspectly, those who were aware of their surroundings. Uh, and God wants to use Christians that walk circumspectly. As a teenager, I don't think my life was characterized by walking circumspectly. In fact, I was oblivious of just about everything. I mean, I had no clue what was going on. I remember going to Bible college and just, I didn't even know what half the classes meant. What I remember first day freshman year looking at this course curriculum and asking my roommate, hey, what's the, what is homiletics and what's hermeneutics? They sound the same to me. And I, I remember just being confused by the whole thing. I didn't even know what I was getting myself into. And then we got the Bible doctrines and we're learning like pneumatology and eschatology and soteriology and all these big words, man. I just had no clue what we were talking about. And then I remember, man, rules in the handbook. Why in the world do they have those rules? You know, why can't I mow the church lawn in shorts and a tank top? Uh, why, why, why? I mean, seriously, these were questions that I had. Um, and I was just, I mean, I was oblivious to everything. I didn't know why we had certain standards. I didn't know why we had certain rules. I didn't know why we had all these classes. Why do we need these classes? Man, I was just oblivious to so many things. And I'm thankful that the Lord used some very patient people at Central Baptist Church in New England Baptist College to see me grow, to learn how to walk circumspectly. There's times as a kid I remember hearing, hey, you shouldn't watch that, that's wrong. Why is that wrong? I was clueless. It's a good movie. Let's watch it. No, no, that's wrong. Here's why it's wrong. And I had to learn to walk circumspectly. You know Satan's looking for opportunities to put a wedge between us right. and the will of God. Yeah. Satan's interested in looking for ways that 
he can use to hinder us from serving the Lord. Satan's looking for ways where he can damage our testimony. We may not even be doing anything wrong, but he can cause all kinds of people to think that we're doing wrong. Satan's looking for ways where he can put doubt in people's minds about the Scripture. Uh, see, I had to learn to walk circumspectly if I was going to be used to preach. And if we're going to be effective in our ministry, we have to learn to walk circumspectly. Uh, let's look up this verse right here. And I've got all these verses that we're supposed to look up. And we haven't looked up a single one yet. Um, I'm failing here as a preacher. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Uh, you guys can turn there and I'll read 1 Peter 5, 8. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Hope you're there by now. Uh, the Bible says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I remember as a teenager, man, I wasted so much time. Then I look back as a college kid and I say, Man, I wasted so much time as a college kid. These guys, they all got finals next week. They know what I'm talking about. They know they're guilty of wasting time. I think 10 years from now, I'm going to look back and say, man, I wasted so much time as a 29-year-old. See, as we grow in the Lord, we learn how to use our time effectively. And we learn how to redeem the time because the days are evil. And we learn how to be more effective in our ministry because we're walking circumspectly. We're understanding that, hey, the devil is walking about seeking whom he may devour. We're understanding that we have to be sober and be vigilant. We understand that we got to walk circumspectly. We don't want to be fools. We don't want to be ignorant or naive. We want to walk as wise people. And I'll tell you, the Christian life in so many ways is so simple. And yet at the same time, the Christian life in so many ways is so complicated. Because Satan is very, very smart. And he's very, very effective at keeping Christians from being used by God. I don't want to be one of those people. I want to be a Charles Spurgeon. Uh, I want to be a Jim Townsley. I want to be a William Borden. I want to be somebody that's used greatly of God. But if I'm going to be used greatly of God, hey, number one, number one, I have to be somebody who will give God the glory. Number two, I have to be somebody who chooses faith over fear. And number three, I have to be somebody who walks circumspectly. And then finally, number four, I have to be somebody who's equipped to serve the Lord. And let's skip down here towards the end of our passage. And uh, verse... Um, Excuse me. Verse 17, he says, And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. The people had to obey their leader. And then verse 18, When I blow the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. See, Gideon's army, those 300 men, they were divided into three companies. 100 men, 100 men, and then 100 men. 
And their instructions were to surround the camp of the Midianites. And when, uh, when Gideon blew his trumpet, they were all going to blow their trumpets. And they were going to shatter those, those um, clay pots. And they were going to reveal their lanterns. And the Midianites would look around and they would see all those lanterns. They were going to think that they were going to be surrounded. And they would kill, them all, kill, kill themselves off. God was going to do something pretty neat. And the Israelite army was going to watch all, the, all this. They were going to get to see what God was going to do. But it didn't make any sense. I, I like firearms, and I, I have a carry permit in Connecticut, not in New York, because, well, New York's just as communist as Connecticut. Um, but, I, but, but I can legally carry in that communist state of Connecticut, just not the communist state of New York. Um, <laughs> But I, I like to carry a Glock. I've got several Glocks. I, I love Glocks. They're ugly guns, but they're great guns too. And uh, I'll tell you, if I was gonna, if I had to get into a conflict, I would make sure I had my Glock with me. If I knew there was somebody trying to kill me, yeah, I'd want that Glock with me. You know, I might have two Glocks because I got multiple. I might as well carry a couple. Um, I, I'd be ready. I'd be armed to the hilt. I might have a knife too, just in case it got down to that. I mean, I'd be ready for conflict. In this army, they wanted to be ready for conflict, but this was not the type of conflict they were expecting. Instead of having the Glock back then, the sword, instead of having a spear or a shield, they would have a clay pot in their lantern and a trumpet. And they'd blow that trumpet and they'd shatter that clay pot to reveal their lantern. And then all the Midianite army would see all these lanterns and they'd just kill themselves off. I mean, it just didn't make sense. But that's how God wanted them to be equipped. You know, as a servant of the Lord, God wants you to be equipped. That's why we have a Bible college. I mean, if you want to be successful in life, I don't think step A is go off to Bible college. That doesn't make sense. If you want to make a lot of money, New England Baptist College is not the place to go. But if you want to be equipped for the Lord's service, New England Baptist College is a place to go. You know, if you want to be an effective soul winner, that might mean, hey, i got to show up early to Sunday school and be in the right Sunday school classes so I learn how to be a soul winner. If you want to be equipped to go soul winning, that might mean memorizing some scripture. Now you might say, hey, if I'm going to be an effective soul winner, maybe I should go take a sales class. I mean, wouldn't that make sense? Go take a sales class and be effective at selling things so that I could sell salvation? No, that's not how God works. See, God says, get in my word. You know, the world doesn't even like God's word. God's word is offensive to them. But the key to being an effective soul winner is being able to use this book. It's being able to turn to different passages in the Bible and be used by God. The key to being an effective soul winner is being somebody filled with the Spirit of God. See, the weapons are war, our warfare are not carnal, but they are spiritual. And at Bible college, what we're training people to do is just be prepared to serve the Lord. We're trying to equip them. We're trying to fill up that toolbox. When your church has Sunday school, you know, your pastor's trying to fill up your toolbox. When your church has three services a week, Pastor Dunbar's trying to fill up your toolbox. See, we're here to get equipped. God wants to use people that are equipped. You look at Charles Spurgeon, the level that God used him. You know, his church, you would think it'd be in a rich area. 
Now, his church was in the slums of London. It was in a very rough area. When we look at our cities today, we say, man, our cities are so bad. Well, in studying Charles Spurgeon, I had to do a lot of reading about London in that era. Man, London was a horrible city to live. I mean, it was filthy. It was wicked. It was vile. And that's right where God had Charles Spurgeon's church. See, God wanted to equip Charles Spurgeon to meet the needs of the poor, and he did that. Charles Spurgeon was somebody, man, he was so well-educated in the Bible. It's amazing how Charles Spurgeon could use God's Word. And that's one of the reasons why God used Charles Spurgeon so effectively. Hey, is God going to use us, or are we going to be bench warmers? Are we going to be one of the 30-something thousand people that didn't get to serve God? Or are we going to be one of the 300? Are we going to be part of the quantity group? Or are we going to be a part of the quality group? See, is God going to use us? Let's have Pastor Dunbar come close us in the invitation. Uh, we'll have every, every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking around. And I believe God wants to speak to people today. And I believe God is speaking to people. So if God's working on your heart, I'd encourage you, respond in the invitation. Maybe there's something that God wants you to change in your life. Maybe something he wants you to add to your life. Or maybe something you're just discouraged tonight. And, and God wants to encourage you with, your, with his word. Well, respond in the invitation tonight. Pastor Dunbar. Let's all stand. Let's stand with us.